We welcome you again to Western Park Baptist Church um, on this weekend of October 24. We trust that um, you are in a good place and sensing God's presence and his love for you. We've been looking at the Beatitudes and looking at them really as the portraiture of Jesus, that when we look particularly at the Beatitudes, which begin his famous Sermon on the Mount, in these we get a picture of what Christ is like. And if we get a picture of what Christ is like, we get a picture of what God is like. So the Beatitudes are an important part of scripture uh, that I think really pays dividend if we will slowly consider them and see, let them speak into our lives. So today we're looking at the sixth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we remember that the beatitudes fall into three bits, and the first part is the blessing, an opening phrase, makarios, reminded that uh, to Receive Christ's words to look to him, to trust in him, is to already experience a blessed life. That in Christ we come to God as Abba. God reveals himself to us as a loving parent. And no matter what else is going on, then there's this fundamental blessing that we are in relationship with him. So this is the, a key eye or a key idea of blessing. It's interesting that, you know, scientists uh, look at, oh, different ideas of what sort of holds the universe together. And one of these ideas is known as string theory. And the idea of string theory can be looked at as, as a musical, musical instrument. Last week we looked at Psalm 92. It mentioned the lyre, like a harp. And string theory can be considered like a harp where all the strings start vibrating. And they vibrate in resonance with one another. Each string vibrates. And the scientists have come up with an idea that perhaps this is indeed a simple model of what the universe is like. It's like the strings of the universe resonating together and it becomes... God's blessing to us, as we know in creation. So string theory resonating. And I mention that because that's, that's the idea of the Beatitudes. The idea is to resonate with God, is to resonate with Jesus, to allow our lives as creatures to resonate with the Creator, just as strings on a harp or a lute or a guitar or a piano will start resonating together. And the problems we have is when we are all out of sort and the, the resonance doesn't happen. There's more dissonance than anything. So the Beatitudes, Makarios, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, is another indicator of how we resonate with our Lord. And so we begin then with this blessing, Makarios. Blessed are you. And so we are blessed as we come to God as creator, redeemer, in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we are blessed. 
The target group here, remember that all the Beatitudes have a specific group they have in mind, here are the pure, the pure in heart. And so we just can slow down for a moment and think of the two pieces, pure. Pure here, katharos, is unalloyed, genuine, undivided, clean. So for example, in Matthew 27, the word is used of a clean linen shroud, a beautiful, clean, white shroud. Or Revelation 21 talks about pure gold, not a mix, but pure gold, that's katharos. So genuine, undivided, that's the, the concept. So it's more than just basic morality, but it's talking about an undivided loyalty to who God is, to live with a wholeness, with an integrity. And, and as the Beatitudes, most of them come from the Psalms, this one is closely linked to Psalm 24. It reads, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Note, those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. Jesus has this psalm in mind as he utters the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. So clean hands, pure heart, honesty, integrity. This is the person who is welcomed into the temple of God in Psalm 24, and Jesus is saying that's the way we want to relate with this kind of resonance then. So it's more than a moral purity, it's not having a divided heart. So we can consider our own lives, you know, where is there division in our heart, division in our loyalties? The book of James talks about this as being double-minded. For example, James 1.8, for the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded. Then again, later in the epistle, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So being double-minded, having a divided heart, this is what gets us into trouble. I like to cite Kierkegaard's beautiful book, Purity of Heart to Will One Thing, great Danish philosopher. And, and he, he writes this, this is to will one thing. Here's a little bit on it. In prosperity, may, thy, may thou grant perseverance to will one thing. Amid distractions, collectedness, to will one thing. In suffering, patience, to will one thing. O thou that giveth both the beginning and the completion, may thou early at the dawn of day give to the young person the resolution to will one thing. And as the day wanes, may thou give to the older person a renewed remembrance of his first resolution that the first may be like the last, the last like the first in possession of a life that has willed only one thing. So in that phrase, willing one thing, that, that's his phrase to live before God with an, not with a divided heart, an undivided heart. To not be like the Pharisees who, you know, are clean on the outside, but 
messed up in the inside, dirty in the inside. Matthew 23. So to allow our lives to live with integrity, wholeness, transparency, what you see is what you get. Now, of course, we all struggle with this. It's not easy to live with a pure heart, an undivided heart in that sense. We are attracted to many things. And we have a challenge staying focused. But nevertheless, that's where the scriptures keep coming back to live with resonance, to live with wholeness, no matter what your age, to stay focused, to will one thing. So pureness then, the pure in heart, pure is Catharos is clean, it is whole, it is living with integrity. That's the idea Jesus uses as he begins. And then he says, the second part of it, pure in heart. So remember that the heart in the Old Testament and the New Testament and biblical days is the core of the person. So one commentator writes, that place from which we feel and think and determine our actions, that's our heart that inner core, purity of heart, the inside. The Hebrews got at that at the old, in the Old Testament with the idea of two hearts. They use that as a, as a picture, that we have a clean heart and we have an evil heart in that sense, metaphorically. And then there is this evil intention, the evil impulse, what's known as the yeser, and at times the yeser will kind of whisper in your ear and it will, will tempt you to go off. And sometimes you do go off, sometimes you don't. Sometimes we live and are able to say no and we stay with willing one thing and other times we give in and we veer off. So they, they, this is not a new idea. This has been around forever. People have always sensed this. So much so that you know, this image of having two hearts even came uh, to be. So purity of heart, integrity in our inner person. So not to give in to the tyranny of the divided self or the eye that is not sound. Jesus uses that image later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. To give in to the false self instead of living with the true self. To not live in a play-acting way, to not live in the theater world, if you like. It's not just one grand drama. That word hypocrisy, Jesus uses. So not to always be putting on different hats. Someone has said living as in moral schizophrenia, purity of hearts, integrity of hearts, willing one thing, Kierkegaard says. So that's the idea of the target group, to be whole before God, to allow our lives to resonate, to not just serve our own interests. And of course, I think that's, that's, that's the big challenge, just as we come to an end of this part, this section, is that we do have this desire to serve our own interests. And we think of what we want immediately. And we don't remain loyal to one thing. We don't resonate the way we should with God, with his values. 
So blessed are the pure in heart. And then we have this amazing promise, for they will see God. Tremendous promise. For they will see God. It's interesting in the scriptures, at times the scriptures say you can't see God, right? You cannot see God in you, because if you do, you'll die. But I think the sense of that is meaning you can't control that. You can't demand that. You can't just you know, rub the genie and expect to God to show up. There's no demanding on God. You cannot see him in that way. But on the other side of it, God can graciously reveal himself to us. That's, that's his gift to us. And that happens to Isaiah in the temple, his great vision. Abraham sees God, Genesis 10. Moses has his vision on Mount Sinai. So it's, it's, it's not that we can never see God, but it always comes from God as gift. Think of the example in the Old Testament of Esther. She can't demand to see the king, but she can go in to see the king, and the king can graciously accept her, which he does. So the promise is that we will indeed see God, that we will be able to go deeper in our relationship with him. Have a more open, honest, transparent relationship where it is this I-thou that we talked about last week, as Martin Buber said. It's interesting, at, the, at, at nighttime up in the, in the farm where we've been going, Stars at night are pretty good. And there is a local group of stars known as the Pleiades. And the Pleiades are even mentioned in the book of Isaiah. So people have been viewing the Pleiades for a long time. And it's interesting, when I look at the Pleiades, if I find them, they, they appear to me just as kind of a smudge. Smudge in the sky. And I don't know if that's just because my eyes aren't so good or what's going on but that's how they appear. But if I get some binocs out, pretty good binocs, and look at them, wow, all of a sudden the seven stars just appear brilliantly dancing. The seven daughters of Atlas in the Greek mythology. Hmm. So I can't see it with my visible eyes really, but with the binocs I can. And, and, and that's the idea here, that we can move into this deeper relationship with God and know him in this rich, rich way here and now in the future. That's the blessing that we have. The pure in heart will indeed see God. Job says at one point, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see on my side, and my eye shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. I shall see God. The psalmist writes, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. So we have statements that remind us that we can move into this deeper relationship with God, the beatific vision to live in the presence of God. So blessed are the pure, for they will see God. <clears throat> so what does that mean for us then as we bring it to a close? Well, reminded one, that double vision reduces our capacity to focus, clearly. 
If we are divided in our mindset, in our heart, then we're going to be all over the place and we are not going to be able to be focused and even as productive and fruitful as we want to be because we are divided. That a whole bunch of time is wasted, wasted on all this stuff and confusion that we carry. Remember my father at the end of his life, he had cancer. Cancer was in his throat and it started moving up. And at one point it, it connected with his uh, nerve endings to his eye. And he told me that he had had lunch at our house on a Sunday, and on the way home, it just hit. All of a sudden, he was seeing two lines. He was seeing double cars. Confusion, capacity, incapacity to focus, and he had that till the rest of his life. We had him checked, and the nerve endings had been impacted, and he had double vision. When you have double vision, it's really challenging to live the life that you really want to live. So double vision reduces our own capacity to focus, wherever that might be in your life. If that's happening in your life, you know it all too well. We see only what we are able to see. That's the reality. What are we, what capacity do we have right now? Secondly, the sixth beatitude addresses this basic quality of our relationship with God. It's deeper than our moral ethics, obviously it includes that, but it speaks of this honest, transparent relationship. God is creator, redeemer. He is this great one, the king of the high universe. The psalmist says he is there for us and having a pure heart, as Jesus is saying, means that we are living in a deeper resonance with him. We are going deeper in him. Pray that that might actually be a, a desire for you and for me. That's, that's what the scriptures hold out to us. That we can find our place in the kingdom of God here and now and in the future. Thirdly, as we move into the New Testament, we find, and, and, and Jesus is saying this, that our point of acceptance is in our Redeemer who is Christ. He is the virgin point, Merton used to say. The point, the vieres point, virgin point. In that place, Christ is the fully integrated one and as we come into union with him, we find our place in relationship with God. So it's, it's connecting with Jesus. That's what all the gospels are eventually about, the epistles. Finding ourselves as we come into relationship with him. What a friend we have in Jesus, we sing. He is our high priest. And so finally then, what, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is Emmanuel, he's there for us, we can live closer to God? What's our takeaway? And I, and I think Jesus again invites us to understand something. There's a story told in Luke where he's speaking to the crowds and, and it's kind of a mixed reaction, but at one point a person yells out, blessed is the womb which bore you. Someone is, is, is impressed, blessed is, the, is your mom. And Jesus' response is, blessed 
is the one who hears and receives the words of God. I love my mom, but blessed is the one who hears and receives the word of God. In our afterthoughts last week, we talked about just reading the scriptures. They're sacramental. They pour over us. Just be with them. Let them sink into your mind. Blessed is the one who hears and receives. So if we want to go forward, if we want to know God more, to be in relationship with him in this sense of having a pure heart, then a good place to begin is to hear and receive his word. So that means spending time with God each day with some silence, with some space, Lectio Divina, divine reading, to let that word pour over your life. And as you do so, you will move closer and God will move closer to you. And we will live in a greater degree of fullness, of becoming whole, of resonating with him and with creation the way God wants us to. Blessed is the person who is pure in heart, for they will see God. May that be more and more your experience. May it be more and more my experience, individually, collectively. May we see God together. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.